special time of the service where we get to open up the book to find Christ the Savior. It's the pinnacle of the church service where we get to hear the Word of God spoken to us as the Holy Spirit brings this Word to life. It's the realest thing happening in the service is that God is touching human hearts and lives to produce good change. And this is why we've come to Him. And so would you join me by faith and, and pray? Thank you, Jesus, you're a gentle, kind Savior. Thank you, God, you're a mighty, strong King. Thank you, Lord, that you laid down, set aside your glory and became a man. You humbled yourself and took the place of your creation and lived a sinless life and died a sinful death on our behalf so we would know your loving character. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Christianity. Thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. And we come to you by faith this morning. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself. Pursue hearts. Pursue families. Pursue people. Pursue children. May your will be done and your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, every once in a while, one of the, the things you might uh, recognize is that I, I take a break from preaching to travel and just be with my family or just rest. And um, usually uh, when we're gone, uh, my family and I have an opportunity to attend whatever church is in uh, the area that we're in. Not too long ago, um, it was one of those Sundays. It was my time off. And um, on Saturday night, Lizzie and I looked up churches in the area and we picked one to go to. Sunday morning came around, the alarm clock went off, and I tell you, I've never experienced something so intense. Getting a family ready for church on Sunday morning is no joke. <laughs> for some reason, the house seemed to be messier. For some reason, the kids seemed to be crying more. Breakfast needed to be made. Showers need to be taken. Outfits need to be picked out and put on. Coffee made, makeup, brush teeth, hair done, you name it. We had to do it, and it was like I blacked out. And uh, I'm sure somewhere along the way that Lizzie and I, as we tried to team up in all the chaos, experienced tension. That's what husbands and wives often experience in this process. If you're, if you're familiar, say amen. Okay, thank you. I'm not the only one. Especially when we got into the van and turned on the GPS. You know what I'm saying? When you miss a turn and I'm driving, Lizzie got the phone. There's tension that happens there. Anyways, we made it to church, right? Made it to the new church as the new young family. A little intimidating. It was good for me to relate to that. Songs went well. We were greeted. Uh, kids cooperated for the most part. And then the pastor began preaching, and it was like this weird response. As soon as he began to preach, the kids got a case of the restlessness, um, or restlessness, yeah. And uh, Wizzy, uh, Wizzy, Lizzie, like, like Wizzy, it's a good new nickname. Lizzie, like a boss, whipped out the goldfish and the crayons, and the kids kind of settled down just for a few moments. I'm usually the preacher. I'm usually not in the stands with my wife or the seats with my wife. So I tried to be a good dad. Uh, Noel got a poopy diaper. And so I thought, let me be a super dad, be a good dad. I'm going to go change it, find that changing station in the back. But I couldn't, change, or couldn't find it. And so shamelessly, I changed the poopy diaper out in the hallway. Sharing is caring. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, after the service was over, I think I may have got to listen to a quarter to half of the sermon at best. And um, then finally, after it was all over, we got back into the van and I um, looked over to, to Lizzie and I said, babe, 
you do this every Sunday. And she looked at me with a sweet little look on her face and she said, yes, honey, I do. I never knew it was so hard to get a family ready for church on Sunday morning. That's really intense. And so, number one, I just want to say thank you so much um, for those of you who are here. And uh, secondly, I say praise God for this, that you would choose to show up despite all the possibilities and experiences and probably even more than I mentioned, because you know it is right and good for the Christian family to come to church and be found in the house of God. You know, oftentimes my friends in my generation or the generation that comes after me look at the traditional nuclear family, which includes a mother, father, a child, and or children, and ask the question, why would anyone, knowing how much work that is, how much needs to be sacrificed, etc., desire and pursue something like that? And secondly, in, in, in relation to the context of going to church on Sunday morning, why would anyone ever try to sacrifice a day off on what's supposed to be the most restful day of the week? Stress-free day of the week. Sacrifice sleep, get up, sacrifice a slow morning pace, a chance to rest, and instead come here. And here's why. Here's the answer to both of those questions. It's because we as Christians believe that outside of Christ himself, there are no greater two gifts than our physical and spiritual family. What makes up our spiritual family, otherwise known as the local church, our individual families who gather together to worship God, but not only worship God, but also to identify with his redeemed people. And one of the ways that we are most blessed as Christians, as God's people, is when we join together in worship to exalt Christ for the saving work that he has accomplished on our behalf as he himself has reconciled us to God. In other words, we belong or we believe that God longs to use his church to influence our families and that through both our corporate and individual lives, he gives us an opportunity to behold his love, experience his faithfulness, and grow in the grace and knowledge of his saving son. The good news of the gospel I'd like to share with you this morning from this text is that through the grace of Jesus Christ and his person and work, healthy marriages are possible. Children can be blessed and raised and the church, knowing the heart and intention of God, receives identity and purpose to exist, not merely for herself, but to turn outward and take this blessing and reach the world. If you have a Bible or cell phone, please feel free to turn that on or open to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to be this morning. If you look there, I've titled the sermon, Gospel Family Mission. This is not only going to be our title for um, the text this morning, but we're finishing up a series called Discovering Parkview. And um, this is our new motto. The three words that you're going to see everywhere from now on are these three things. I hope that you understand the gospel by now after five weeks that it refers to the power and grace of Christ for us. Last week, we talked about mission, how God longs the church to reach the nations. And this week, we're going to focus on family. The three points, if you're taking notes, that I'd like to show to you this morning are this. Number one, I'd like to show you the blessing of our physical family. Number two, I'd like to show you the grace of our spiritual family, a.k.a. the local church. And last, I'd like to show you the heart and intention of God. 
the blessing of our physical family, the grace of our spiritual family, the church, and the heart and intention of God. We're going to begin our time by reading the text up front. I invite you to join me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I make... that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you an exceedingly I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their their God And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And he who is eight days old among you, you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations. For whether born in your house or born with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. We're super thankful for it. Right now, we're moving to point number one, and I'd like to show you the blessing of our physical family. So um, here we are again um, in our sermon series, picking up, um, up in, a, in, a, in a random book. Uh, but Genesis, for us as a church, is not totally uh, foreign or random. We've actually studied this book together as a church before. But for those of you who are not privileged to be part of that study, for, from a high-flying altitude, here's how this book is basically laid out. It's broken down into two ma- major sections. Chapter one, uh, chapters 1 through 11 tell the story of God, of creation, of man, of sin and the world. And then chapters 12 through 50 serve as the second part of the book, which the author then zooms in on to tell the story of just one man, this man here in our text, Abraham and his family, who are the man and the family that God intends to use to rescue and bless his rebellious world. The first time um, we're introduced to Abraham in this book was in uh, chapter 12. In chapter 12, God visited Abraham, well, if you can remember, while he was living in that uh, pagan land, that godless land, that land full of people who did not love nor fear God. They worshiped false gods. And by grace, apart from anything that Abraham had ever done, While he was still living there, God chose him to be an object 
an instrument of blessing. Chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and makes him a promise. And this is what God says to Abraham. Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then in chapter 15, the conversation continues between the chosen man and God. And God says, look towards heaven, Abraham. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. What I want to do here in our text this morning is emphasize before you how it was God's intention by the means of the old covenant for Abraham and his posterity to know God and fill the world with his salvation. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, James, um, great, that has nothing to do with me. Um, Aren't we in the new covenant? Aren't we the people who relate to the people of the New Testament with Jesus? Don't we identify with them? Yes, we do. We're going to get there. Hold on to your pants. Uh, But before we do, did you know this? Did you know that the idea here of God longing to use a family to be blessed and bless the world isn't just an old covenant or new covenant thing. Rather, it's something that has been on the heart of God ever since the Garden of Eden. It's actually very similar to what we find in the Garden of Eden when God said to Adam and Eve in the creation mandate, Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and what? And fill the earth. So just as it was God's will for Abraham to have children and pass legacy to a thousand generations and for that family to go on and fill and spread and bless the earth, so it was also towards Adam and Eve in the garden who were federal heads or representatives of mankind, indeed the whole human race. And so knowing this, examining the scriptures, we were able to see God's heart for the institution of family and children. That God longs for us, his people, to have children because children are a blessing from him in which he uses to bless the earth. And if you look there in verses 7, 8, 9, and 11, what you'll see is that God is longing to be the God of Abraham's children. And this is also God's will for families in the new covenant age through Christ. It doesn't go away once we get to the New Testament. In fact, I'd say that it swings even wider. It only grows larger. We'll get to that to the next point. But, but what I'm trying to show us here is that this missional aim and purpose for covenant families, a.k.a. Christian families, is that mothers and fathers would live their lives as unto the Lord and that their faith would inevitably, inevitably be pressed upon their children and passed to their children's children, to their children's children's children, to a thousand generations, and that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would spread like a, a fragrant aroma and fill the earth. Did you know that the um, first complete sentence as an Israelite child in the Old Covenant will learn to speak was Deuteronomy chapter 6? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. How were children supposed to learn this above and beyond all else? Look at the instruction and command given to Abraham in verse one. He says, God says, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Verse nine, as for you, Abraham, you shall keep my covenant. In other words, live uprightly, godly, faithful, and true through obedience before me. So parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, this is your covenant responsibility before the Lord, before him, your family, your spouse, and your children, for you to walk blameless in the sight of God and them. And you might say to me, James, that's a tall order, man. Who can add up to that? Kind of seems impossible. Praise God that you're getting it. Absolutely. It's actually really, really high expectations. You know, as well as I do, that no one's perfect. Did you know that not even Abraham himself was perfect before God within the context of this covenant? If you want to talk about a failure of a husband, you can examine the life of Abraham through some of the things that he participated in. Did you know that Abraham, in order to inherit God's blessings, two times offered his sister as an object to another man instead of staying faithful to him, her as his wife. That's the type of man that we're looking at and the type of God that, um, who's initiating with him this, this, this promise. And so from this greater story, yet we see to the greater context and narrative, Abraham still receiving forgiveness and blessing. Why? Well, the good news that I want to show you here is that Abraham did not receive favor from God and blessing from God because he lived a perfect life, but rather because deep down in his heart, when God spoke his promises over him, Abraham, deep down, believed that the Lord would be faithful. Chapter 15, verse 6, and Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Who then is the savior of this text and story? It is not Abraham, but it is God. Abraham was this fallen, imperfect, sinful man. Yes, he believed. Yes, big picture, his life displayed overt obedience to the Lord, but he was not a perfect man. Rather, it was through the covenant-initiating, covenant-keeping, faithful God who was gracious to Abraham where he was blessed. God's grace for Abraham was received by faith alone. Parents, what is our responsibility before God, our spouses, and our children? to walk before him in faithfulness and live our lives in love and serve him, our spouses and our children. Who will save us as we stumble in sin and imperfection along the way? The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the merciful God, who is the much greater Abraham, the man from whom all of God's covenant blessings flow out of with free grace. 
This is precisely the good news of the New Testament or the new covenant that the Son of God comes as the covenant mediator to mediate our relationship between God and man. Jesus lives a sinless life on our behalf. He dies a sinful death on our behalf so that God would not inflict justice or wrath on us, but treat us with mercy and despite our sin or our failure or imperfection, be able to look past that onto Christ. And by Christ, faith in Christ, we are covered in righteousness and promised grace. Amen. True belief produces obedience, yes. But God's grace comes freely by and through faith in that one man, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is how you can unlock God's promises to bless your family. When I was writing this sermon this week, I was back there in my office, and Lizzie texted me. She uh, texted me a picture of um, JJ standing outside the school building. It was his sixth birthday on Tuesday. He has two new big front teeth. He was smiling and showing those off. And um, when I looked at him, my, uh, my eyes welled up with tears for my son, not just because he's a beautiful little boy, but because on the deepest level of my heart, I long for him to know and fear the Lord. I long for my children to be different than the world and to know the covenant-keeping, faithful God. For my son and my other son and my daughter to be filled by the Holy Spirit and be born again to the new and living hope through the new covenant. I long for, G for JJ to have a heart for missions and a desire for the word and to love prayer. I want my son, when he becomes a teenager and passes through puberty, to know that he can have hope in a sin-filled, sick, suffering world. And that can only happen through teaching him God. Our goal as Christian parents is not to make our children into good moral people who live upstanding lives and have successful careers. That's great. I want that, all that for my kids. My kids are different. They belong to God. I want my children to know that they need a savior and God is gracious to have given them one. They have eternal hope. They're going to the promised land. This life is going to pass like a vapor and mist and the new heavens and the new earth will come and they are being children of the promise will inherit the land. Heaven is theirs. That's what I want them to know. And so I'm saying, husbands, it starts with you. You hear me? Parents, did you know that one of the main ways your children validate your faith or the faith, the Christian faith in general, is by looking at your character in marriage? Dad, God chose you to lead the family. When's the last time you romanced and pursued your wife? When's the last time you pursued her heart and told her that you loved her and held her and told her you'll do anything for her and then after explored her feelings, got down to her heart to understand what God has been doing in her life? Wrote her a love letter, served her, talked to her, showed her that you're actually listening when she speaks. How could men effectively lead their wives and families if those men are not first on their knees before God, crying out for mercy and having saving faith and salvation in the Savior? It's not possible. 
You can't inquire of faith and lead spiritually if you're not on your knees and loving and obeying and being filled by the Savior. Here's the statistics. If you reach, this is a statistic, if you reach the child first for Christ in a family, do you know that the family is only 3.5% more likely to follow them to church? If you reach the wife first before the children or the husband, that family is then 17% more likely to follow Christ in the church. But if you reach the husband, that family is 93% more likely to follow be reached for Christ, and go to church. Brothers, are you seeking the face of God? Husbands, are you leading your wives and children by grace with gentleness in the scriptures? I'll stop. Wives, um, if your husband's not leading faithfully, or spiritually, um, you don't have to worry. God will use and can use and always will be committed to use you. I've seen it over and over again. God using women to lead the family. Calling them to step up. Even when the husband's lacks. God uses moms to impact husbands and children. It's never actually possible to be satisfied in marriage. No matter how or what you you think in your mind. The grass is always greener, but that grass when you get there is actually not that green. It doesn't matter what your spouse, you think your spouse can be or who you can be married to. There is only one savior. Wives, I want to tell you, your your husband, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, your husband will never satisfy you. There's a bridegroom. His name is Jesus. He's the true husband. Jesus is the true husband. He'll give you strength to be faithful even when your husband is not faithful to to love freely without deserving or expecting anything in return. God uses both husbands and wives uniquely in a complementary way to produce healthy families. And those two things, when they're together, when the husband and wives are loving each other and 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 they're seeking the Lord and they're raising their children, what does that produce? It produces healthy marriages and healthy families set apart and guaranteed the grace and favor of God. If you're looking to make disciples and you don't know where to start, um, I just encourage you to look no place further. Start with your family. Your children are the disciples God wants you to start with. God intends for his salvation to be passed on success, successively to generations. This is the whole entire purpose of, of, of circumcision in our text, actually. Circumcision in the Old Covenant was this physical and spiritual mark of God's promise on his people. It distinguished an Israelite child from being um, part of and belonging to the rest of the world, belonging to God, to his people, and believing families. And this is why we baptize children here at our church. Because we believe that God has chosen to born your children into a Christian family, into the church, so they can be raised by the gospel and no grace. We invite our children to pray. We invite our children to worship confidently. We invite them to declare God's promises over themselves and also to declare that their sins are forgiven. We as Christians never want our children to know a day in their life that they did not know the Lord. This is possible through covenant blessing. Parents, do you pray for your kids? 
Do you pursue their heart? Do you show them that you're a sinner? Then ask for their forgiveness so they wouldn't count as you as being their God. You know as well as I do that the story that we give to our children matters. You can look back to your childhood and know the wounds that you have from broken marriages and imperfect love. God longs for this to heal your children. The gospel is how your children will be protected and raised. We don't want to give a worldview to our children that the world has to offer. That's garbage out there. The church is the equipping ground. We, covenant parents, have the responsibility to raise our children to know and fear God, to have an understanding of worship, church, Christ, sexuality, gender, you name it. We want them to know the Lord. The good news is that God is not looking for perfect parents, husbands, or wives. He's looking for a parent, husband, or wife who's humble, who says, God, I need your help. I need mercy. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please make me into a good parent. This is good news. God wants to use you, mom. God wants to use you, dad. God wants to call you husband. God wants to give you strength, wife. You alone can do it with Jesus, but that's not God's will. God's will is for your family to fear and obey him and to be different than the world. If your children have not been baptized and you're a member here at our church, I just want to invite you for them to come be baptized. Come talk to me. I want to take this sign and seal and place it on the heads of your children so we can rejoice in God's covenant promises over them as they're born into the church. Amen? Amen. Well, that was point number one, the blessing of our physical family. I'd like now to move to point number two and show you, show you this, the grace of our spiritual family, which is actually the, the local church. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 28. You remember, if you can remember, it was the Great Commission where um, Jesus sent his disciples out. And uh, we, know, we noticed together that um, there was a difference between Jesus's first mission and that second mission that he gave them in that text. On the first mission, when Jesus sent his disciples out, if you can remember, it was only to the Jews, the, the household of Israel. But in Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus sent them out, he sent them out to the world, to the ends of the earth, to reach Gentiles, non-Jewish people with the gospel. And this is what actually culminated in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus left and ascended into heaven, um, the apostles were there. They gathered into this room. There was about 120 people. They began to pray. And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them as a sign of the new covenant age. And what happened in and through that prayer and the sermon after was that people from various tribes, tongues, and nations, aka Gentiles, heard the gospel in their own language. And about 3,000 people in that chapter were saved. 3,000 Non-Jewish people that day, by and through the grace of Jesus, received the Spirit of God and were adopted into the family of God and counted among his children. This is the good news of the New Testament. God's focus and promise to bring salvation to the ends of the world moves from the Jews in the Old Testament to now reaching and including all people. God's intention ever since the beginning was to bless and fill the earth. It always happened through chosen men. 
But if you trace the story of the Bible, what you'll see ever since the beginning was that Adam wasn't good enough, was that Noah wasn't good enough, Abraham wasn't good enough, David wasn't good enough, nobody was good enough up until Christ. But then Jesus, the son of David, came, the man from the line of Abraham. He was good enough. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinful death on behalf of the entire world. And now through his sacrifice, he swings wide the doors of heaven for all to come and join the family. Family has always been on the heart and intention of God ever since the beginning of the world. And this community, this family that I'm referring to here, especially found in the New Testament, is what we actually call the local church. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians chapter 3. Now then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Did you hear that? It's fulfilled in Jesus. And, and what you'll see in this passage is this phrase over and over again, repeated. Eternal covenant. Through Jesus, we have an eternal covenant signed and sealed by God and his blood that we are not only forgiven, but we are adopted into the family forever his and ours is the promised land. And here's the good news of the church as it relates to this. God does not save individuals to stay individuals. God saves individuals to save them into a people. The whole story of the Bible, redemptive history, is God saving and calling a people to himself. This is the the substance or the significance of the local church. And here's what sorrows me as a pastor. When I see this and I look out at empty seats on Sunday morning, I know that primarily those empty seats happen because of marriages that aren't doing well and families who are unhealthy, and people who had hard mornings, and children who are disobeying. I, I got to taste that a little bit. I know what it feels like to be tempted to not go to church when the morning's bad or life is bad and things suck. You know the suck. I know the suck. But this is when we need to go to church the most. We don't come to play patty cake, man. We're wretched. Our stories and families are a mess. We need a Savior. We need the Lord. We need to hear the gospel preached into our ears. We need to sing of this great eternal hope. The church is where messy people come. It's where sinners come. This is the beauty of the New Testament, of Jesus Christ, of the new covenant. He saves sinners. So come. So just come if you're having a messy morning or you don't get your makeup on or your spouse and you have a fight over breakfast. This is where you come. God has given us each other for a reason. At church, we receive and give away grace. 
At church, we worship and we practice hospitality. At church, we see the sacraments displayed. At church, we bask in God's presence. At church, we laugh and we cry and we rejoice and we are known. Hear that last part? At church, we're known. Who can have confidence in being known other than the person whose identity is sure and secure in Jesus Christ? You got to be known here. Don't hide anymore. Stop running away. Come receive the grace of the Savior. He wants to lavish his grace on you. God's people, if they are receiving his grace appropriately, are ready to give you the same grace that they have received from each other. If your pants aren't pleated or your shirt's crushed or you're just wearing the same stuff, that's gross, but come. Right? Come. I love that we're, we're offering this online worship still. But let me just say who it's for. It's for the person who's still unsure about church and they're trying to figure out if this is going to be their place and they're trying to gain the courage to come. If that's you, you could take all the time that you want to come here or figure this out. You can pray and God can move your heart. Um, but here's who this is not for. It's not for Christians to use it as an excuse, as a supplement to worship. Maybe if you're sick, that's understandable. Your family's sick. A work trip comes up or something unexpected. There's grace for that. Nothing replaces physical worship in the presence of God's covenant people. It's not law. It's gospel. We're made for human relationships. We're made for each other. We're made to be known. This is the beauty of having a church of 180 people. We get to know each other. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I was watching this guy this week. His name is Paul Tripp. I was watching this video. He, this, this is what he said about church. One of the greatest leaders of the church right now, revere him, respect him greatly. He said this, I need to hear my brothers and sisters on Sunday morning sing the gospel into my ears. I need my dull heart awoken by their voices again. He said this, and I'd say we, we need this. This is why we have the visual aid at the Lord's Supper, aka Communion where we actually with our eyes can behold our brothers and sisters get out of their seats and proclaim and show us and prove to us yet again that we are not the only sinners in the room. This is the beauty of the sacrament. We know that God's people need Christ to save and so we make a public proclamation of it. The whole entirety of corporate worship is set up for human beings to appeal to human senses, eyes, ears, mouths, and hands. You can't experience it through a camera like you can here. What I want to show you or the point that I'm trying to make between point number one and point number two is that the, the physical family, if is a Christian family, is actually inseparable to the local church. Those two are together. Amen? I'd like to finish in point number three and show you the heart and intention of God. Um, this morning, I've, I've sought to show you that, um, that there is a blessing to physical family. It's the best thing that God will ever give to you besides himself. He wants you to experience that. I just tried to show you the grace of the local church just now as gospel for you. Those first two points are grace given to you. But now I want to show you submission. 
Before I move into mission, can I just say this? Um, if your family's hurting, if your marriage is hurting, if your children are running amok and things aren't so going so good at home, I just want you to stop right here before you even consider, about, consider doing anything. Doing only happens from receiving grace. And so if you just need to be healed right now and touched by God's spirit and for God to heal your family and marriage and your children and your outside family, you could just stop right here and bask in God's grace. He actually wants to do that for you. It's enough for you to sit back and just receive his free gift. But as I close, what I'm trying to do is now provoke a different type of person, a family, an individual, whatever it is, um, who have received the blessings of God, whose family is doing pretty good, whose marriage is being held together by grace. Let me tell you why you have received all this. To be a blessing to the nations, to reach non-Christians where you work, live, and play. You're a Christian to glorify God. And enjoy him. And so if you're blessed, enjoy him. But God is most glorified when Christ is exalted. How is Christ most exalted? When people come to saving faith and knowledge of him. You want to partake in the mission of exalting Christ? Live your life in an outside way. Don't become a holy huddle in this church and think about we're all about hanging out with Christians. We're not. We're, we're about non-believers knowing the gospel through us. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And some of you on the, on the opposite side, all you do is hang out with non-Christians. Wake up. It's, you can't do it by yourself. You need this place. But we are a church, an outward church, and God longs to bless us and give us grace and mercy so we would be a blessing to others. This is why and where and how Israel failed. They never took their blessing to the nations. They never shined the light but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people chosen by God, lambs on a hill to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're a Christian, this is why you live. I have no other reason for living besides Christ in me. We are to be different, church. And Christ has filled us with his Holy Spirit so we're not a religious powerhouse, but we are a God powerhouse and God promised on our mission, he'll come with us and do it for us. Christ alone is the savior who makes this effective along the way. I pray that you live for Christ. I pray that you reach your neighbors and your friends. Who has God placed in your life? Where has God placed you? How can you be a blessing? How can you give your life away to those people? That's the gospel challenge. I like to pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for giving your life to us. Thank you so much for washing away all of our sin. Thank you so much for blessing us so we can give blessings away. Use us, Lord. Could you heal marriages? Can you heal families? Could you make men strong and tender? Could you make them servants? Could you give women strength? to impact their husbands and their children. Thank you that this is your will. And so we believe in you by faith and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.